parable we're looking at today is Luke chapter 12. It's the really first part of this little story, and I've connected it into the first, the few verses before the parable, just to give it a little bit of context as to what Jesus was saying to his disciples. So it's Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 40, and it will come up on the screen as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve We'll have them recline at the table. We'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, they recorded these words because it was important for people who were not there at the time to hear them. And so they have been recorded for you. These are words for you from Jesus, Jesus talking directly to you. And what Jesus is saying here, first of all, get an eternal perspective on your life. Get an eternal perspective on your life. We often get caught up in the temporary and forget the eternal. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't worry uh, about uh, today. Invest in the eternal, the important things, the things that will last forever. And the, the way he does this is he says that to the disciples, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. What is a purse for yourself that will not wear out? The, the words are really a money bag. People went around before the days of where you could have a phone and do all your, your phone transactions with the bank and didn't really have banks in the same way, but they did have money bags, a place to store their possessions. 
Have a money belt that does not run out, that does not wear out. Put your treasure in a place that it will not be destroyed by moths. A thief will not be able to come and steal it. What was Jesus saying? Put your life into eternal things and not just temporary things. And so he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Why, why would he say that? It's because you can live your life being selfish and hoarding things for yourself all through the, your life. You can be worried all about the possessions. Will I have enough? Will I have enough? And will I have enough? And you hoard and you get more and more. And then one day you die and those possessions of no use to you whatsoever. Why didn't you be generous with them and give them away? Why didn't you invest in something eternal? Jesus one day will come back and he will take all the good things that we've done, all the beautiful pieces of art that we've created, all the acts of kindness that we have undertaken, all the great relationships that we have, and Jesus will take them all and take them into the future all the things which have been selfish and wicked will be destroyed. Invest in those things that will last forever. Jesus is saying, get an eternal perspective on your life. A psychologist during the lockdown, Harvard psychologist Dr. Susan David noted that during lockdown, many people recognized their priorities and values had been really petty and small-minded. She wrote, what happens is we've become hooked into an autopilot mode of living with all of our habits and our routines. We're so impacted by social contagion. Someone else gets a promotion. We want to get a promotion. Someone else wants to drive a particular car, we end up wanting to drive a particular car. What are those things in your life right now? You think, hang on, I've got caught up in this thing. It's become really important to me in my little world, my temporary little world. But actually, eternally, it's of no significance. What type of car you drive has got no value, no significance eternally. One way of thinking about this is to think of your life as just a tiny little thing like this. This is a little tiny piece of string. But if I have it uh, this way and you think from that wall over there to the wall right over there, maybe if you're watching online from one screen to one side of the screen to the other. If that is just a tiny bit of eternity, this is your life. It's, it's tiny. Therefore, don't get hooked up on those worries that you have right now of all these small things which are actually quite insignificant in your life. Get an eternal perspective on your life. Tim Keller puts it, like this. 
You have a tyrannical boss who is standing in your pathway and you are depressed. Why? Because you see him as being in charge of your history instead of God being in charge of your history. And actually, God being in charge of your history is a greater reality and the boss that you're so concerned about is just a temporary figure. If you're in the later stages of your life, you can look back on your very early stages of your life and you can see things then that made such an impression to you and seemed so important. And yet now, in the later stages of your life, they seem quite insignificant. If you're at the early stages of your life, don't get worried about certain things that are causing you stress. Get an eternal perspective on those things. Now that's a hopeful uh, message. It could be a depressing message if you're an atheist because that little piece of string can seem really quite insignificant and that could make your life seem futile. The atheist blogger and writer and author, Greta Christina, wrote that the fact that your lifespan is a tiny, 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 tiny fragment in the life of the universe is not just frightening, not just painful, it can be paralyzing. You flinch away from and refuse to accept or even think about, consistently pushing it to the back of your mind whenever it sneaks up, for fear that if you allow it to sit in your mind even for a minute, it will swallow everything else. It can make everything you do and anything anyone else does seem meaningless trivial to the point of absurdity. It can make you feel erased, wipe out joy, make your life seem like ashes in your hands. Uh, For the atheist, the true atheist, the fact that your life is a tiny, tiny fragment in the eternal significance of the universe, it can seem trivial to the point of absurdity. But To the person who follows Jesus, your tiny little lifespan is of eternal value because Jesus can take what you give him and take who you are and bring it into the future. And he will be there in the future with you. And so he says to you, store up your treasures in heaven Take a money bag, create a money bag that will last forever. So that's an encouraging message from Jesus. And the reason it's encouraging is because this parable tells us that Jesus is there waiting for us in the future. In our future, we have an opportunity to meet Jesus face to face. And this is how 
Jesus describes it in this parable. He says to us, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those whose servants, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching. Sometimes people take the fact that Jesus is coming again, he will return. They take it to, they make it more like a puzzle, trying to work out when Jesus is going to come, rather than as a promise for something that we can wait for, for God to do in the future. They make it a puzzle to try and work out when, rather than a promise to wait for. And you sometimes see this with different cults in America. In 1988, Edgar Wisenant, a former NASA rocket engineer, wrote a booklet called 88 Reasons Why Jesus will come again in 1988, in which he claimed that Jesus returned sometime in September 1988. Two million copies of the booklet circulated in the years leading up to 1988. Some people actually quit their jobs, sold their homes, and gave themselves completely in prayer before the predicted date. September 1988 passed quietly. The sun set on the last day of September and it rose again in October. Wizenant recalculated this time, figuring the end would come in September 1989, then 1993, and then 1994, and he died in 2001. That's the problem with trying to predict. And, and actually, when you try and predict what, when Jesus is going to come again, it's as though you're trying to control that event. You're trying to uh, tell people you've got some special knowledge. You're trying to work it all out. And actually, that's just a futile, futile thing. Jesus says, no one knows the time or the hour. So let's not waste our time on those things, but use our time Waiting and being prepared is what Jesus is saying. Be ready. I want to give you two examples of, of readiness. Uh, one of them is my parents, whenever I would go down with our family down to Torquay, and they lived um, on the seafront, and they lived in a, a, a house which had the, the bedrooms at the top and the, the lounge, uh, uh, sorry, the bedrooms downstairs and the lounge at the top. And I would know that when, if we were going to be there, say, at 8 o'clock in the evening, they'd be waiting from 7.30 at the window. When we arrived with our kids down to Torquay, they would be there waiting for us. They'd got everything ready. The whole weekend was all the food was in the house. They made it all tidy. They'd been waiting. They could not wait to see us, and they were there at the window. And I want to contrast that with 
Um, sometimes um, Sarah says to me, um, we've got a he heating engineer coming around. And uh, I remember one time, it was on a Saturday morning, she'd gone off for, for a run or a walk. And, and uh, I think it was Ed, you'd come at 8.30. And I'd sort of been in bed and I was just sort of half awake, half asleep. And uh, then, have you ever had that? Then the doorbell goes. Oh, my goodness, I forgot. I should have been out of bed by now. I, I get out of bed really quickly. I try and, f and I know the guy's just waiting down there, and I put on my tracksuit bottoms, put on a T-shirt. I, I do something with my hair. And uh, I then, uh, I run down, and I open the door, trying to look as though I've been waiting <laughs> for the heating engineer. And he's obviously probably done a couple of jobs by that time, and uh, comes in, and I know that I have not fooled him at all, but I just w want to look as though I'm ready. But I'm not ready. It says in another verse in uh, Romans, do not slumber, waiting for the return of Jesus. Which are you? Are you like my parents? Ready for Jesus? to return? Have you sorted everything out in your life if he was to come this afternoon and return? Well, some of us, over this course of this year, we might find some of us have died. Jesus hasn't come back, but our life has ended. Something we don't talk about very much, but it happens all the time. People in our community go to meet with Jesus. Are you ready? Sitting at the window, everything sorted out in your life, expectant, you've forgiven the people you need to forgive, you've sorted out your heart. Your heart is looking forward to seeing Jesus. You've sorted out your attitudes to money or the temporary things and you've given them over. You've surrendered them over to Jesus and you say, Jesus, if you come today, I'm ready for you. I'm here ready. Or are you like me on a Saturday morning, slumbering around in the bed? You know there's certain things you've got to do because you don't want to be like me on a Saturday morning, suddenly, frantically getting yourself organized for Jesus to return. Jesus says, don't be like that. This is what he says to repeat. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning so you could see what's going on. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, these are the words of Jesus, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Are you immediately ready for Jesus? Are you waiting and watching so that he doesn't keep catch you unaware. So first of all, get an internal perspective 
on your life. And secondly, be ready for Jesus. And thirdly, because he's ready for you. He's ready for you and he can't wait to see you. We get the idea, and we're used to, I think, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you're used to the idea that Jesus came as a servant. You're used to the idea of a servant king. You're used to the idea because we see Jesus serving in the accounts of Jesus' life. There's the account towards the time when Jesus was crucified, and he goes and he washes his disciples' feet. We're used to the idea that Jesus, you have to... Think of Jesus as a, as a figure who served his disciples. We're used to the idea that Jesus has died for us. But sometimes we think about when Jesus will come again. We think of it in a way that when Jesus comes again, we will all just be there bowing down and worshipping Jesus the whole time because he comes in just, and he comes on a cloud, the Revelation says, and he's got this incredible uh, power, which is true. And actually, Revelation describes it uh, like this in Revelation 1. And when I turned, I saw someone like a son of man, Jesus, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were bla- like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing like a furnace, and his voice was a sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And that is the picture of Jesus when he comes again. It'll be shining like the sun. It'll be brilliance. It'll be astounding. It'll be hardly able to look at him. And he'll come uh, with judgment and, and power. But also this parable that Jesus said, that Jesus spoke out, this crazy talk, was that when Jesus comes again, he'll come and serve you. You, When Jesus comes again, he'll come and serve you. In fact, the the words here in this, this parable are, truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table. These are the people who have been waiting for him. And he will come and wait on them. The the actual words were as though Jesus imagined somebody wearing a, a long robe and the hem of the robe is hitched up into a belt, which is a way of getting ready for service because you're ready to serve. And Jesus will, it says, uh, his, his robe will be tucked into his belt, all ready to serve you. Because he is absolutely wanting to be with you, to let you know that you are loved and he can't wait to see you. 
he's wanting you to recline at the table and he's going to serve you. That's the love he has for you. And, and that's why it's an, a crazy message because we want it to be that when Jesus comes in all his glory with radiance and brilliance, that we will get down and we'll serve him. We can do something for Jesus. But John Piper, the author and theologian, words it like this. This is not a call, the good news, to serve Jesus, but a call to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by him from death. Let me say this again to be sure you hear it correctly. The good news is that the radical call of Jesus is not a call to serve Jesus, which is just another ideology, but to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by him. I mean, Peter found this really difficult in the, in the, uh, the Bible where, where Jesus is uh, going to wash Peter's feet. Peter, I don't know if you know the story, but he says, no, 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 not me. You can't wash me. You don't want to be served by, Peter doesn't want to be served by, by Jesus. But Jesus says to him, no, unless I, I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. You need, to allow, you need to lay down that desire in you, which is you've got something to offer Jesus, that you've got something to do for Jesus, that you've got something good that you want to do. Lay down that desire and let him serve you. So you come with nothing. You come with nothing. And you just allow him to serve you. You allow him to love you. You allow him to protect you. You allow him to wait on you. When Jesus comes again, be ready for him. Be ready for him. But be ready that he will come for you and will want to serve you.